In this episode of 92i Talks, celebrity chef Jamie Oliver sits down with New York Times cooking columnist Allison Roman to discuss his new book, Five Ingredients, Quick and Easy Food, and his latest food activism projects. The conversation was recorded on January 8th, 2019, in front of a live audience at New York's 92nd Street Y. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Happy New Year. Yeah. Thanks for coming. I'm going to let him interview himself, actually. I feel like you are better at this than I am. Oh, wait. Um, <laughs> I'm lucky to have you here. Oh, stop. Um, you know about coming. food. Normally, I get put with someone that doesn't have a clue about food. Uh, you assume that, but... It's going to be good. Yeah, I hope so. Especially as I've got whiskey in here. So yeah, I, I wish that's what this was. Um, well, I'm extremely nervous, and I just felt like I should say that because it maybe will help me feel less nervous. Um, it's not working yet. Um, but we'll see. But, you know... What's interesting about this pairing for me is that I probably like half of, at least half of the room grew up watching you. Um, so it feels like I've known you forever, although we met literally five minutes ago. So <laughs> it's a little weird for me because I feel already this intimacy. Oh, yeah, thank that's you. Sweet. You're welcome. Well, that's a nice thing. Yeah. I think getting to know people through food is a good place. It's the best To place. know people. I Being agree. on people's shelf in a kitchen is a is a good right, place I mean, to be in someone's life. You were on people's shelves and also on their TVs and then also a restaurant where they could go in to eat your food. So yep. it's like this full, you know, spectrum situation where people felt like they had access to you at every single point. Yeah. How do you do that without feeling completely vulnerable and, like, burnt out all the time? Um, well, I mean, I, I've, I think, like, once you... I've always worked a lot of hours. There's only so many hours in a day, right? Okay, and yes. uh, I've tried to... Um, sort of look at sleep a bit differently in the last few <laughs> years, I think. Um, As in you don't need it? Yeah. Or? No, no, well, I thought I didn't. But, like, um, I think when, when I was kind of... We, we kind of forget because we're busy humans, but, like, it wasn't that long ago before smartphones and Twitter and uh, Facebook and social media existed. Mm -hmm. So, you know, even when I ran the first school dinners campaign in Britain, which resulted in creating standards for child's food in schools and... You know, at the time, it was, like, translated into a billion pounds of new money into the school food system. That was an analogue campaign. That was, that right. was 375,000 bits of paper. Very uncarbon. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we didn't have, like, what we can do now on social. And you just forget, oh, my God, that was just, that was just then. And, um, but, you know, I think it's... I, I, do you know what? I'm just relieved, you know, tonight... We've got people in a room in a place where I never grew up, where I never dreamed of coming to. Um, books are still relevant. We've got an independent bookseller like yeah. that has, like, got everything. You know, it's a really... Books are a beautiful thing. Books and, are a beautiful thing. And it's, it's a beautiful thing because I think, like, it's... You know, like, TV's great and social's great. And <laughs> it, but I think the magic that happens in your home... And, like, the relationship, your relationship, even with text and pictures, is your own. Mm -hmm. It's every, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. in, in everyone's frame and their life and their age and who they're cooking for, it's a, it's a different thing, so. How does your process change from uh, the first time you started writing books to this one, which is just out? Um, feels to me extremely internet-friendly. I don't know yeah. why. Um, I think it appeals to a large range of age groups, and it also, everything in it is extremely beautiful, and easy to replicate, but how has your process sort of changed now that you know that everything is going to be documented and shared and things move so quickly that it, it becomes, like, a book becomes a different beast? Yeah, I think, like, 20 years down the road, it's, it's um, 
probably to kind of give it more context. Like, I, I did really badly at school. I was a dyslexic kid, and, like, cooking sort of saved me. Mm -hmm. And uh, I really believe that. And I think, like, especially with dyslexic kids, you know, a lot of dyslexic kids in, in the US and the UK have terrible times at school because, you know, there's a kind of context of intelligence that we sort of adhere to, but not everyone has that. So I think, luckily, food saved me and gave me the confidence to enjoy life and find things to focus on. And um, really, my school was my dad's pub, my mum and dad's pub. That I don't know if any of you guys have been to Britain before, but, like, the British pub is the most democratic place on earth. <laughs> like, we need to get Donald Trump in and the pub. And always very and, uh, busy. Like, but it's, everyone's welcome, right? Like, anyone, race, religion, age, rich, poor. Like, my, I grew up with, like, old age pensioners, like, gypsies, like, the city boy having a single mole in a, in a jag. And anyway, I guess... What? I guess, well, all that is, well, single mole in a jag. This is a pub. I mean, how many restaurants can get all that? I mean, it's not that many. None like, of them. So, but I think, for me... Dyslexia has always played a, a big part in my publishing. So the first five books that I wrote, I, I can't type and I can't, my, my spelling's terrible and, and, I, and, and I have to work on my reading. So I, I, I wrote with my dictaphone. Hmm. And I, was, wow. <laughs> I was explaining to a kid the other day, he was sort of had a bit of heart to heart to me about his, his journey on dyslexia. And I explained, no, dude, it's okay, because, like, you get this dictaphone and, like, you know, you have conversation and then you've got your own voice and, like, you don't have to type, you just talk. It's just communication. <laughs> That's all that matters. And he goes, what's a dictaphone? I went, <laughs> I went, dude, it's like this incredible thing and you have, like, these little mini tapes and you can kind of write a chapter, you know, like fish. And, like, you can just talk about fish. And then, like, you have all these tapes and that's a book and then someone transcribes it. You don't have to do that. And he goes, what's a tape? And I'm like... <laughs> yeah, that's it's a literally different language. Uh, so, it, but I think, you know, this. This, um, we are living in a time of, 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 the, of the capacity for the best of science and technology, but we have to, I mean, everything good about food is about respecting what's been and passed and, and even to mm -hmm. the paper in a book or, or to conversation. And I think um, cook, cooking is one of the few things that um, in, in busy lives and busy cities, like being a New Yorker and being a modern-day parent that's incredibly challenging and there's a lot of guilt out there. What's good? What does good look like? My kid won't eat. You know, cooking is just markets, producers. Like, this, this stuff just makes... I think it brings out the best in us. And I think for quick and easy five-ingredient food, that is... And I talk about it not in a kind of horrible way. Like, it's a very commercial book because it's like... Literally, my relationship with publishing has, has always... I've never had a plan or a strategy, and everyone always tries to make it out like I'm smart like that. It's just never been You're pretty so. smart. And I mean, I, well, I, I'd like to think 20 so. 20-year like, career I, of they, they kind of paint a different picture, do you know what I mean? And like, so half of my books are from the heart. They're journeys. They're, they're philosophical. They're historical. They're kind of like things. Um, and then the other half are like trying to solve a problem. And often, as a chef, I'm possibly... Like, oh, most of the best authors in the world are women, fact. That's right? so true. So I mean, I, I've, I, I mean, no, no, but your books no, are joking, amazing, and your written word is incredible, and your, your, <laughs> no, but it's true, and, and I grew up, everyone always seems shocked when there's, like, because, you know, we're living in times where, sort of, we're talking about women a lot, right, and so I, uh, I, I my heroes were Alice Waters, Stephanie Alexander, Patricia Wells, Marcella Hussan, mm -hmm. you know, there's Delia Smith, there's kind of, there's, there's like a long list of girls, and, and the only guy in there is, is my campus friend, Gennaro Contaldo, so, you know, it's, it's like, but I think, um, for me, like, solving a problem or going on a journey, they're sort of separate, mm -hmm. and, and weirdly, this one was, um, 
was about timing. Do you know what I mean? Like right. I, t- I wrote this book in, in about three months. Oh, my God. Which is impossible. Literally impossible. Um, and it doesn't mean that I've shortchanged you or I rushed it. I, I promise. It does not feel uh, that way. No, it, it, it really, honestly, it was, like, it was like a thing. Like, it was submersion. And Wait, was it self-imposed deadline? You were like, I need no, to get this book out right now? Everything was going hunky-dory, you know, and I've just, I, I, I just spent a year cooking with nonnas across the whole of Italy, north, south, you know, islands, mountains, and it was like a huge, a totally different book, mm-hmm. like very philosophical, very much like a lot of writing and a lot of crafting. A lot but of dictaphone. But it wasn't. But the thing, the thing about I know it's not. I know it's not rocket science. But if you really want to spend time with a nonna, a, a grandmother in her 90s across Italy multiple times, um, the presumption that sort of dudes from media like us can like trumps in, gain their trust, <laughs> and get all and get their heart and soul. Yeah, they're not going to tell you shit. Forget that. No, absolutely you know. not. So, so it was um, that book required and demanded time. So on January 9th, I told my publisher and my team and my production people that I was not going to publish that book and deliver it for printing three months' time, which is, and it has a knock-on effect to America, Australia, you know, it was like, it was an issue. It was a situation. No, 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 I'm going to make this book. I'm going to make this book because social media, one of the good things about it is you can really, if you have a deep conversation with a large audience that's global, like, if you really listen, like, what I started to realize, and I'm a slow learner, but like after 20 years, like, if you think about things that motivate people, like, okay, so, like, cooking can be one thing or another thing to many people, but from my point of view, one of the things that I love is, like, how do I get humans to cook something instead of get a takeaway, right? Mm-hmm. That's where we are on the planet right now for yeah, the developed world. Yeah, unfortunately. And so, so I started thinking, so I'd, I'd done money-saving meals, how do you cook for like a quarter of the price of a Big Mac meal? An incredible meal. Done that. We'd done like 15-minute meals, right? We'd done like superfood, like, mm-hmm. like kind of like what does good look like? Here's a place where everything's good, right? Like, and I kind of, it was really, duh, but like I realized that it was like one of the biggest reasons that would edit 90% of people cooking was having a long shopping list. Yes. And juggling hours and jobs and, and just the graft of modern day life. So... I started building, it was a really weird, it's a very unique process of writing this book. I got in a room, I pissed everyone off, and, um, and, and it was literally like an issue. Um, I, I, I couldn't get to my commissioner at Channel 4 in the UK, which is where we do the TV, so I did a video pitch a minute long, <laughs> and, and just like, and, and, and she commissioned it via text wow. back. That literally live. never happens. So, I, I no, no, like, I've never heard of that. Yeah, and, 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 um, and, uh, and I started, like, very, like, this book was supposed to do what it said on the tin, mm-hmm. right? So, basically, even if you're a talented cook and even if you're better than me, that's cool. But, like, know that 70% of this book is healthy. Know that we've got five ingredients. Know right. that, uh, like, if you just want to flick through and, like, just, like, do your shopping list, like, it's, gonna, it's a workhorse. Yeah, it's extremely and, practical, I will say, but yeah. also beautiful and interesting. Like, I sort of saw five ingredients, and I wasn't sure what to expect and how do you deliver on that with just with, in those limitations. But each recipe seems really thoughtful and still really interesting. I think, like, I think maybe it's harder for a man or as well, or maybe even a chef, but, like, you just carve away ego. Like, yes, uh, I was lot, wondering lot, where you were going with that. Off, off, <laughs> well, 
But, but yes. Oft, oft my problem is, like, and, I, and luckily, I, I was very lucky because, like, the inspirational start of my publishing career was when I was a very young boy and I was sort of sous chef at the River Cafe and, and I was, had the honour of working with Rose Gray and Ruth Rogers. Ruth Rogers is an American, um, an incredible woman. Amazing. Sense of style, like beyond. Married to Richard Rogers, the architect, genius, gentleman. And then Rose Gray, just like, just an incredible cook. N neither were chefs. Like, and they would eat chefs with Michelin stars up and spit them out. Yeah. It was brilliant to see. Yeah. And these women were just completely and only committed to ingredients and seasonality. And, um, but I, I did used to answer lots of phones from customers that have bought books. And I saw very quickly the responsibility of if you don't write, if you're not ninja, forget talent, forget pictures, forget design, right? That's what we're paid to do. So what, you know? But like test, test, test. Mm -hmm. Like if someone's gone out and spent 50 quid on ingredients, which is like and you've got yeah, your grams and ounces wrong? Like, seriously? That, that's your fault. Yes. So give me the 50 quid. Yes. You know, so, like, so from day one, like, I started to realise that this, you know, this... this uh, and as a dyslexic kid that did shit at school, like, the honour to be able to publish, are you kidding me? Mm -hmm. uh, are you kidding me? So, like, we test, 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 four times inside the office, twice with strangers. I do the master edit and then I have to take a view on it. And then the kind of ego bit is kind of, with this particular book, was like, is I'm not trying to give you the best recipes in the world. This is not the point of the book. Right. The, the point is, how do I give you maximum flavor and deliciousness and choice uh, with five ingredients? And, and don't, don't be afraid to use a jar every now and again. You know, yeah. things like miso, curry pastes, you know, these things are cool. Like, don't, don't, you don't have to make your cool own. <laughs> you don't have to buy 30 things, you know. And, um, and it so happens that this resonated with the public now. Maybe it wouldn't have worked five years ago. Well, I think the, the culture, to your point, has changed. And, and something that I think a lot of conversation about cookbooks in general, and especially coming from a chef, is chefs want to write a book to demonstrate all the things they know, right? They want to demonstrate the coolest and the latest and the trendiest and, yeah. you know, all of their information to impress you, the reader. But really, I think what the reader wants is to cook, and it really comes across in this book especially that that's what you want too. You want the reader to just get in the kitchen and make something. Definitely. And I think, like, cooking should and, and must and does have... It's like a, it's like a mountain bike with gears, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, it's like you need gears, man. <laughs> like, you know, you, you know, who wants to eat posh food every day of the week? You know, screw that, no. you know. Sometimes just like a really filthy sandwich or, or like, a, like, a, like, you know, you need, you need gears and um, horses for courses. And I think that's why publishing as, as an industry is a beautiful thing. And, and, and I was actually talking with my publisher today, who I think is here somewhere in, in the room. But, um, like... Good publishing and mentoring and advice from a, a, a range of publishers across all the crafts, that, that is responsible for your great books. You know, it's not just the author. Absolutely. You know, so we're in a time where you can self-publish, but, you know... Yeah, like, well, it's also they're investing There's a billion in free shit recipes out there. Go take them, you yeah, know. Yeah, um, So, you know, <laughs> publishers are important. But the fact that they've been with you through this journey and the, the fact that they trust you enough to say, okay, we'll, we'll let you do the... Posh book, posh. That I, um, and then we'll also, we encourage you to do the book that people are actually going to cook from probably on a yep. daily basis. And I feel like all of your books have sort of followed that, you know, wave, right? They, they go up and they go down. I think you just got to feel it. Do you know what I mean? I think like what's quite interesting is 
like publishers generally, and I've been very lucky, I've stayed with my publishers throughout the whole of my 20 years. Um, so it's been a good marriage. Um, if they are convinced that you're truly passionate about something, they're interested. Mm -hmm. And they trust you. TV is completely opposite. Yeah. How do you, how TV do you... is a bastard industry. Yeah. And, um, Seems bad. And I've worked at a very high level in it for 20 years, and it's frightening. Yeah. I have to grovel, and I have to... I, like role play and plan stuff <laughs> to just, I mean, honestly, to survive in TV for 20 years is like 100 years. It's like dog years. Do you feel like they don't it's, trust you as much as a publisher? Look, I, so I'll give you an example. Like I'm paid to work nowhere else in the UK. Right? Okay. Just Here, we'll pay you. Don't go anywhere else. Just be our boy. But then I have to pitch to people that are like ships that pass in the night telling okay. me what the channel and, and the viewers want. Well, I've been there 17 years. I think I know. Right. And I listen, by the way, and I have the resource to listen. You don't. I know right. more about your viewer than you do, so crack on. And then also, <laughs> and also, they might have a really bad relationship with food. Right. So, you know, can you imagine, like, Lord David Attenborough pitching to someone that knows nothing about science or natural history? It's just... It would it's bonkers, break my heart. But, you know, I'll, I'll pitch stuff that's, like, bang on... Because, like... The, real, the really important thing is about listening and timing. Like, because that's how you get the maximum amount of people to join a conversation. And it's the conversation that then becomes national and press. And that's how change happens. That's how supermarkets change. And like, people stock different things. And like, mm -hmm. people, genuine talent starts filtering through and bubbling to the surface. That's what you want. But then if, if everyone in TV just says, where's the jeopardy? Right, boring. Where's the jeopardy? Right. Is there a game show side of that? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, if you look at what's happened to Food Network over the years. Yeah, well. You know, I launched Food Network. Right. So it's, I think it's, it's, I think, and I'm not knocking Food Network, but it should have. It's a safe space. I feel well, like we can. No, I think, I think it's, but I think, like, there's plenty, you want food to be diverse. And, and the minute it's all kind of pumping at one tempo. Right. But also the Food it's, Network began the sort of celebrity chef culture at a time where the people that were doing it were actual chefs. And now they were chefs that became celebrities. And now we live in a world where celebrities become chefs, which is, to me, devastating and kind of delegitimizes the whole thing about being on TV. But I feel like you have maintained your integrity throughout and is consistent. And I'm not just saying this. I've, I say this when you're not around. Um, but consistently one of the more enjoyable things to watch because it does seem genuine and like you're very much involved and and still want the end goal is to be for people to cook not for people to watch you cook i think if you work hard and and respect your audience and if you're on a journey yourself and, and you wear your heart on your sleeve then the chances are people might come with you and what's beautiful is it transcends religion and countries yeah. you know what i mean we, we we broadcast in 120 countries around the world Wow. And, and are translated into like 60, 70, depending on the year. It's like, it's, it's, so it's, it's, a very, it's a very human thing. I'm a very, yeah. like, <laughs> it's, I think cooking can solve a lot of things in the world. Um, and feeding people and, um, and having, you know, the, the nearer communities are to farmers, the happier and healthier those people are. Mm -hmm. and, and the further we get away from, the, from mud and vegetables, um, the more fucked up everything gets. Yes. Um, so it's it's uh, it's a really good scientific fact. Yeah. Well, you've I feel like <laughs> I always, put money on it. Um, but you've always integrated sort of this not I would not political but yes political aspect into your message and the things that you know you're involved in. Like it's not just books and TVs. You have a foundation. You have all these things that you kind of focus your efforts into 
consistently spread this message, and I feel like that is a third arm of all the things that you do, which is totally insane. Yeah, I think like underpinning my journey, you got to, you have to remember if I just go back to the Naked Chef, like the Naked Chef was never supposed to happen. I was 23, I was very young. Luckily, I've been cooking since I was eight. Luckily, I've been working shifts since I was like 10, 11. Mm -hmm. And I'd worked every department several times. And, and although I did badly at school, I did well at college. Um, you know, like I wasn't supposed to work that night. It was a fluke. And um, uh, the Naked Chef was like, it was an inc incredible moment in that 20 years ago, men didn't cook in Britain. They didn't. Oh, interesting. And, and it was an interesting time. And like, you know, we... What do you mean, like, they didn't cook, like, socially? So, so or? it was like, if you kind of think, like, 40 years ago, like, 17% of women in Britain didn't, but worked. And now it's, like, 76. Okay. So, so socially in the So home, there was this mean, kind of big yeah. tra transition between sort of women going to work, and, and that, of course, socially has an impact. But then everyone, you know, the couples would, around Britain would come home at the end of a day and sit on the sofa, and all these men around Britain would go, what's for dinner, love? Oh. You know? That would, and, that would go over well. And... And, but, it, but it did, it really did. So if you, if you go back and look at all the tear sheets and all the magazines and like how did the Naked Chef explode like bloody One Direction? How did that happen? <laughs> you know, like, you know, I'd, I'd gone from being skint, like zero money in translation, to having, Thank you. <laughs> you know, a million books sold in six months. You know, it went bonkers. That's wild. And how it's, the internet. It's, and, and, and what it was, it was driven by women, ladies, girls, and, 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 and a whole range of magazines, different age groups. And the energy was, if that little boy can do it, then my husband can do That's it. That's right. So, I like that. So yeah. It was, it was a, but I was so young and sort of just happy to have a pulse. I'm like, I, I, I wasn't really conscious of it at the time. Apart being from being like a poster boy for social change. Apart from men hated me for about a year and a half. Well, you know, they'll get over it. And men are kind of interesting because like, and I see it now with my kids. Like, I've got three girls and two boys. And, like, basically, if you just feed and love fellas, everything's good always forever, right? <laughs> Regardless of age, right? And, and as we had a year and a half of men just thinking I was the biggest asshole in the world, I got roughed up, chased. I had abuse. It was, like, a bit gnarly at times. Did you really and get roughed up? For real. And, and but it, what, what, was, what I love about men in, in this simplicity, which is when men finally got that I wasn't an enemy or competition, I was an ally. When they realized if they cook for their wives and girlfriends, they get more shaggy shaggy. Oh, um, wow. And they're like, yeah, he's like, he's, he's like good. And it's, and he, even like, so I... I have so, okay. <laughs> girls, seriously. Women, nice. yeah. Darling, do you want to go out? We go and get a Domino's tonight. Do you want to go bowling? We get a burger. Or do you want to come back and I've made some homemade pasta? Fair. You know, I mean, but it's true, yeah. right? It's, it's a fantastic aphrodisiac. And, um, but also it was a change point. And if you look at the paper and the energy, and it was a change point. And it was a really important change point. And it was, it was about, it was more than just democratizing food. And because and I was young and all of my colleagues were quite old and it was about wearing chef whites and Michelin stars and I was sort of looking like a bag of shit like I do Where? tonight. Um, and um, he could have made a bit more effort. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I think, um, but also I think the youth was important. Like anyone can cook. And I, I actually remember, um, and I won't go into the story too much, but the reason I was working was because someone 
uh, went off sick and he was one of my seniors. And um, so I was there when he should have been there. You were where? Sorry, just for uh, when the night that The night that The Naked Chef got discovered in the River Cafe and I was filmed and it was from that programme where the film, the TV industry saw me and said, where's that kid? Let's find him right now. Let's Naked bring Chef. all blue eyes back so, and see what um, we can do. The dude that should have been working that night um, always thought that should have been him. And I saw him about three years later in Australia. And um, he's a very talented chef, but technically an asshole. And um, <laughs> um, yeah. he, he was just, he, he, he like outed me in this sort of bar where chefs hung out after service and just said, you're a disgrace to the industry. How dare, we've, we've trained for years and you're going around the world telling everyone that they can cook. You know, this is for cooks and shit. So it was a kind of, even the industry, like the kitchen, like the commercial, pre professional kitchen was kind of hardline, really. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And, and we needed change as well. Like, so, the, you know, I, I think it was, it's been an amazing journey. And I think that Jamie at 20, like everything I've done over 20 years is, just whether I failed or won has been about trying to create a new way to get people to try cooking. Right. Um, whether it's apps, whether it's setting up like the store, the Apple store of cooking, which failed, by the way. Um, um, but it was kind of like, you know, I had, I had my cooking centres around Britain and, and one in Huntington, West Virginia, and, uh, and six in Australia and trucks where we do free cooking lessons for people if they're on benefits, mm -hmm. 10 recipes to save your life. So I kind of done the social side, but I was still passionate about, well, what does middle-class learning look like? You know, we, we've got two, three generations of Americans and English that never learned to cook at home or school. Right. So, like, what, what the, you know, I've got that, I understand that bit. What, how, what does middle-class learning look like? So the idea, and actually, we, through my failure, we did perfect, like, the idea of the price of a cinema. Like, how could we have, like, an hour and a half of entertainment where you learn stuff and it's about the same price and you get a glass of wine? Genius combo. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, so everything has been just trying to get people to cook. And do you feel like that's... Because, I mean, obviously, there's health implications, there's social and financial, and it, it's, I'm sure, not that different from where you live that it is over here, um, like where you see people struggling with that. But how do you feel like that plays a role in other countries that are not the UK and, and think, America? Well, I've I think definitely, like, certainly for the last 15 years since I've been more involved in social campaigning, like, and because I travel a lot in a lot of countries and I get access to people, ministers, politicians, like food experts, chefs, you, you get a lot of input. So you definitely see a lot of similar patterns in a lot of different countries and you start to realise that different countries are at different parts mm -hmm. in the concept of progress or, you know, developing country to develop and there's pros and cons for both. And, you know... Um, I spent, you know, when, when I did a superfoods book, which is, you know, what does good look like? What does healthy look like in one place? Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't want to be one of those authors that, like, kind of read a few things and then just spouted a load of shit and kind of created a new fad diet. Like, right. I went back to which school. Which are always expensive, right? I feel like a lot of people that write health food books now, especially, it's like you have to buy 18 powders and, like, a weird ingredient that you've do never powders. heard of. No, I don't, I don't do, do powders, powders either. Just, I don't do powders just, either. Just fruit, veg, nuts and seeds is a good start. But yeah. it's, no, I, I went back to school and I studied nutrition and then I spent two years uh, intermittently going to places in the world where people live the longest, most productive lives. And, um, and when you see that, that's really powerful. And I think um, then, then you start looking at the gap because a lot of the, the, the just being generalizing massively, the kind of people that would turn up here 
they're already on a journey. <laughs> so, We're on a journey so, together. Um, but like you're already you're already in, right? right? You know, this is so this is not really where the problem lies. Do you see it as like preaching to the choir type yeah, because, of Yeah, because when you went, as I have lived in the most unhealthy town in America, or when I lived and, and, and worked in LA, and I, I worked in East LA like for my whole time, and you're working in the projects, uh, and, and nearly all the kids in your school are on, on free school lunches, uh, and you go home with them and spend time with their family and their parents and their grand, you start to realize what food deserts in, in contemporary cities looks like, and you go, right, okay, so as much as everything is changing for the better, you know, as you've got the big food companies kind of solving people's kind of solutions that don't really exist, and then you've got social yeah. deprivation. Like, what we've got is a kind of... There is progress, and there is wonderful things happening, and, and in conjunction with our knowledge of science and nutrition and all of that stuff is cool, but at, at the bottom is getting really dark. Yes. And, and, and interestingly, like, so... Like, as a chef and cook and food lover, like, some of the best food of my whole life has come from financially challenged areas, right? Because the currency of... Like, where specifically? Anywhere in the world. I mean, anywhere. Like, like but, but on the condition of what... The currency is not cash, it's knowledge. And that's where we, modern day life has kind of lost it. Like, it's very easy in England and America. We kind of think that just like loving food is a middle class posh thing. But actually, that's not what nearly all of history has said. No. Like, everyone said that good food is about having the knowledge. And what happens is when you have poor communities that don't have the knowledge, then carnage happens. And, and so that's the bit that worries me a lot. And that's where I think school food systems, teaching kids to grow, um, kind of looking at how. Mayor, the like amazing pioneering mayors can kind of just kind of like make things function in a way that allows access to not only food uh, but also information. You know, like there's, um, and that's why when you hear rumblings that Trump is going to take away the school food standards in the United States, it it it, mm. it, 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 yeah. it worries me and upsets me on a level that is just beyond the shit that I've heard him say before. You know, um, where do you start, um, really? I mean, no, but it's, it's but, but but the way we nourish children in any country, the future of our country, um, the way that like the concept of a free school meal and the standards that are required to give those kids, you know, like it's not just about food. It's 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 about how bad does really bad get? Okay, this is how bad it gets. <laughs> And we're going to feed them 190 days of the year. And, and we're going to kind of like help them to learn. And it's not political. It is so not political. And, if, and I don't think that presidents or, or any prime minister should have any access to how we feed kids in our, in our schools. It should no. just be brilliant. And um, it's just, it's, but I really believe in it. I really believe it. And I think like, you know, certainly in... You've got other things going on with kids in a sort of hormonal sort of teenage area, but in that kind of um, primary school age, or, or you call it... Um, elementary elementary school. school. Like, like oft, you know, you can achieve so much with any kid from any background, and, right. and, and you can set them up for life. Yeah, in most places. I feel like this... Yeah, things are... I don't know how things are over in the UK, but I feel like we really, really struggled with that here. And I've seen it. If, I've worked in a lot of yeah. schools over here. So what, what is your, for people that don't know, the foundation that you have and its involvement with schools, like what is the direct sort of correlation? Like what, 
What does that do in schools? Uh, well, we've done a mixture of things, really. We're in a bit of a transition time. So, like, 15, which was my first restaurant, that was a charity, and all the profits trained kids from fairly colourful, troubled backgrounds, often prison, homeless, and or just kind of kids that were sort of not quite sure what they wanted to do. Um, that was an important moment in my life. But after 15 years the problem had gone away. So we start, I started it because there was no apprenticeships for kids. Mm -hmm. And by the time 15 years came of age, uh, which was last year, the government had brought back um, oh, wow. apprenticeships. So, so then I was kind of looking at stuff. And we'd done kind of like um, uh, home cooking skills in second high schools. And we'd done um, a kitchen garden project in primary schools. And we made it available. And, and I think I'd, I'd done, I had quite a busy foundation, but the, for me personally, the charity wasn't really working. The mechanism of charity was just... Um, like was it wasn't not, enough to give money yeah, or to like It was kind of pissing things. me off a bit. Right. It was... Um, it, it, uh, the way it's structured, um, it, it's basically legalised begging and, and, and I, in, for us back home. And um, what we were doing was we were trying to run social business. So after 15 years of coming up with some great ideas and testing some amazing things. I was, as I got older and a bit wiser, I think I realised that um, uh, doing brilliant things for a small amount of people is beautiful and great, a, a great apprenticeship, but really what we need to do now is up our game and make stuff have much bigger effect, wider effect. So now what we're doing is um, we, uh, this year, are launching um, a thing called the 2030 Project, which is to half childhood obesity in Britain by uh, 2030. Uh, by default, it will go international, and, and that's, of course, the aspiration. But um, it's basically, um, I'm, it's, uh, we're, it's a kind of new, I've restructured my businesses, so everything has to contribute towards that, otherwise don't exist. And you have a lot uh, of businesses, you have um, like restaurants and... I, a smaller airport. amount now, I've sort of had a spring clean. Um, and they were, <laughs> it, was, it was a kind of patchwork quilt of, of ideas and things that just happened and... And, and, and I think I was from 30, I don't know, from, from, from 20s to 30, no one believed me. So I spent my life trying to convince people that I had this idea that was important. The minute I convinced, the minute I hit 30, people started to believe me. <laughs> and so I didn't have to try anymore to convince them. And that's bad too. Um, so then Wait, from my 30s to 40s, I, it, was, it was a very creative, but very uh, sort of, bumpy and exciting and terrible like sort of and now from 40 I, I want different things now and I think um the, the principles of I'm, what I'm doing and you guys invented it there's a thing called a b corp which mm -hmm. is essentially it's not perfect but it's kind of the best the planet has currently it's like if you're a business like you have to report yourself not just financially but how you employ how you buy your, yes. your impact on the planet and I think that's a good start for us but I really believe in social business um I think it's more I think it has more opportunity than charity. Um, and um, what our aim is to do is to bring all charities together and all businesses together and hold them to account and have a target. So right. um, it's really ex it's exciting times. And, and we've just employed our CEO and we've got a really interesting sort of um, board that we're putting together. So it's, a re I mean, it's, an it's an audacious dream. Yes. Like to half childhood obesity by 2030 is audacious. But just to put it in context, that's only a magic wand dream, which I have, to, to have the child health of 2000, millennia, 18 years ago, 19 years ago. But do you know what I mean? Like, it's that bad. It's, it's that bad. So, um, you know, uh, 
But I think, I think we're coming of age now where we kind of consciousness in... Well, to your point, like the charity and money only go so far. It has to be educational. Charity is and brilliant, sort of, but I, I just think yeah. if you want to get, there's a lot of people. There's a lot of people duplicating, and there's a lot. And 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 and, and I think that I think working together and collaboration is definitely the way to get much much more done. And holding, like for me personally, anyway, in the UK, and I know it works because we've already seen the fruits of that. Like. Like, I'm not really about left or right or, or this colour group or another, as in, you know, it's now personal, right? You're in charge of health. You're in charge of education. Mm -hmm. If you don't do something about it, it's personal. I will, I'm going to berate you every time I have a chance because you didn't do your job that right. you paid for. Right, as so, deserved. So I think yeah. what's... What, but, but, like, ego, what I've learned in, in, in the work that... We've done quite a lot of incredible work in making change in the UK and um, legislation and, and, and standards and all sorts of stuff around child health and food, food It's incredible. Education. It's like an incredible responsibility, but also you don't abuse it and you really but, step up to it, whereas I feel like most people in your position just but are it checked ju out. Genuinely, it feels like a being in a film, and, and it's, it's really... I, I pinch myself, and, and, it's, and it's so often, always consistently driven by ego. And, um, and so... You're just a pawn in a part, and there's forces. You know, there's the public having the voice of the public. There, there's I'm like an odd thing. I'm not really like I'm not normal in the norm. Normally, it's like the press mm. and uh, and kind of um, the public, and then politicians. But I'm like an oddity that sort of goes in between. Mm -hmm. And um, it is political, but though. But it's really political. <laughs> and, and, and also, and I never, I never, I never grew up being like that. Right. But I think, um, like, you know, even when you just look at... I like looking at things simply, you know, like, even, like, 15 years ago in the UK, when you've got standards for dog food that are robust, and if you don't adhere to them, you go to jail, but then there's nothing for Human the food. five and a half million kids that go yeah. to school every day. Problem. And then when you... You know, and it was the same in the US, right? So, um, interesting. Do you feel like your success in the UK directs, or directly translates to success here? For you, like that yeah, I think, it's easier for you to have an impact. Yeah, our government is so. Yeah, I, yes and no. A lot of things. No, yeah, I mean, um, yes and no. I mean, us humans like light, shade. Yes, no, win, fail. We're very programmed to to look at things very simply. So you know, when people even talk about Mayor Bloomberg, who kind of introduced a whole bunch of initiatives here, and then like people love to kind of one-line berate him. I'm like, dudes, like, A, you don't know what you're talking about, and B, if he hadn't have done that. It's not, it's not the splash, it's the ripples. So maybe he was like, and also some of it's timing. Like, maybe he was 12, 14 months too early. Right, know, well, it's also... Because the conversation changes. But, but if he hadn't have done it, like, a whole shitload of stuff would never have happened in the rest of the world. So, you know, he was... So I, I think... I feel like it's easier for a celebrity to make change than it is a politician. And isn't that isn't that terrible? But, it but is then terrible. again, like you look at politicians and <laughs> they're kind of, I think I think it's I mean it is it's but I think like the way I look at it is is um, I've we've never campaigned for anything clever. We, we we haven't done anything that's even a fraction of the incredible things that humans have done, like put people on the moon, right? Like like just feeding kids decent grub while they go to school. That's, that's not genius. That, that, that just requires some structure and, and good leadership and funding, and that's it. 
um, we've done much harder things, yeah. you know. So, um, <laughs> but and I, and I think you know, you know, having standards for <laughs> all yeah. kinds of things around the food system. It's true. Um, I'm going to segue, use that as a segue into audience questions. Um, some, some softballs, some hardballs. Um, but this one is uh, specifically related to education. Um, what advice do you have for educators who are looking for ways to teach kids about nutrition and cooking? And this is, you know, presuming they don't have an embedded class or dedicated program already. Like, how do they work that in? Um, I think, like, um, like, first of all, like, at certain different age groups have different lenses to look at. But certainly, if you look at the elementary level, like, there's just no better way to keep. There's no better way to teach kids about baking, and than through. I'm sorry. There's no better way to teach them maths Math than, than through baking. baking. Correct. And um, there's no better way to teach the water cycle uh, and precipitation and sort of like how stuff grows, photosynthesis than to grow. A, you know, in three weeks you can grow a bunch of cresses and a bunch of simple salads and 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 and, and essentially like there's not you know history down like co mixed communities mm -hmm. we got that you know like Pasta. so food food That's like food's an incredible gift and, and we've we've done a lot of programs for kids we've got a lot of stuff online and and we've always like created our content with educators so that we can have bits of really exciting content and videos and sort of like vlogs and vlogs and all of that stuff, but it's kind of pointing to bits of syllabus. So, like, I think it's... it's Give it... There's some amazing work that's American or British and it translates all just fine, but I think um, uh, it's, it's all out there to be done. And, yeah. and, um, and really, whether you have no outside facilities or gardens or you've got a couple of windowsills, you can do great things. Yeah, and sort of tangentially related, do you find it easier to start in... Let's take the United States, for example. Start in a place like L.A. or New York or New York City specifically. Or do you feel like it's worth going into smaller cities first and kind of start there? And well, it's Because I, I, there's a lot of organizations in New York City that help with children in schools. And I think that they're already catering to people who have the wealth and the resources yeah. rather than going into places that Well, maybe, a little bit you know, like I was talking about the 2030 project. Like, first of all, what's, there's, there's lots of amazing people doing amazing things, first and foremost. But... but there's probably no facility to help the best of practice share to all. So there's no gel that necessarily brings them all together. So that's why 2030 Project for me is based around an alliance and sharing and kind of having goals and shared goals and targets uh, and holding ourselves to account. And, that, and that's socially and, and the commercial sector as well. But I, I think, um, uh, and, and it is a big problem, health in the States and the UK, but you can break it down into lots of little bubbles and it's small Local problems, and and but what you need is, you know, what, often what I find is like, and having run charities myself, like like in Australia, for instance, we've got like six. We're in every state apart from Tasmania. We've got two trucks that go out into like communities, into the Aboriginal communities, and we we run our ten recipes to save your life, and like we get we get match funded. So if I put fifty grand in, they give us fifty. If I put a million quid in, they put a million quid in. Like we got we've got. Like we, we got proper, we've had proper funding, right. you know, um, and in the UK, we've never had that, you know. So what, what's interesting is there's a lot of really good will out there and all it needs is a, it needs someone that has the permission to recognise talent and care and people that are delivering. And match funding doesn't mean they'll do 50% more. Match funding might mean that they do four, five times. You know, once you've taken that stress of that 50% away, often people flourish to really scale up and do a lot more. That's encouraging. 
Um, here's a softball for you. Just shift gears a minute. Um, what are your thoughts on bagels? <laughs> New York style specifically. Just wondering. Um, I like them if they're fresh. Have you had a New York bagel? Yeah. Do you, they're not that good. I haven't had one this trip. Okay, well, we'll um, get you one. But um, if you can get, I'm sure if it was beautifully made, um, it's going to be amazing. Well, you know, it's got to find um, that beautifully made bagel. Um, what are your uh, thoughts on, on dining scene in general, like restaurants? Like you're very home cook focused. Um, that's what you do, but you also have restaurants. So how do you, you know, sort of, your advice to people saying, I, you know, do I eat out? Do I cook in? Like, what, what's the nutritional situation of your restaurant? How do you kind of apply this? A lot this of questions here. Yeah, well, I'm paraphrasing. Um, it's a lot of questions in the so, stack. Okay. Um, how do you sort of translate what you preach in your books to the way you practice in your restaurant? Um, uh, well, I, um, first... Uh, uh, okay, bagels. Uh, what oh, kind no, of bagels? No, no, I'll get there. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> I think, um, look, uh, I've got restaurants right and I've got them wrong. I think, first of all, small is always best. You know, I haven't got many small restaurants. So I've gone for quite large ones and I've tried to sort of, you know, do really good food, amazing ingredients at sort of really good mid-market prices in a big venue like this. And, and, with, and that, that don't work. <laughs> uh, Financially small, or just small, spiritually? No, small is good. Um, I think on, on how do you... I mean, I think the idea of a curated space is much more important um, than maybe we've ever thought. So um, not getting stuck on train tracks, um, being able to be agile and sort of change. As, as long as good food's at the heart of it, I think that's definitely the way f forward and that's the way we should, we should look, at look at restaurants more like museums and galleries than restaurants. I think, yeah. I think um, it doesn't mean you can't have a classic that's always the same. Of course you can. But I, I think that um, people are curious and, and the audience is changing a lot faster now than it has done historically. Technology changed a lot. Um, delivering food and all that kind of stuff has changed a lot. Um, the industry is still very, very tough. Margins are very tough. If you care, there's not much reward if you care. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. like, there's, no, there's no, like, extra help for supporting sort of like better farming, free-range farming, supporting smaller businesses. There's, you know, so as, as far as the business is concerned, you know, the business is obsessed by squeezing out labor, which is by default talent, and kind of just shit chicken instead of nice chicken. You know, like it's, it's mm -hmm. so really, why, does, why is that important? It just means that the, the good stuff only gets in the expensive restaurants, which is, right. I'm generalizing massively, but like it's so, it's a tough business. But, um, and as far as the books are concerned and nutrition, uh, we, we create like prisms or, or structures. So we, I, generally speaking, well, always now, um, since I went back to school, like I, I love, I, I like choice. So we try and, we have structures where we'll always make sure that there's, you know, 30% of the options will be healthy. You know, kind of simplify it like red, amber, green and, and kind of make sure either menus or even books. Like this book is 70% healthy, you know. And you mentioned that except for the desserts. But the desserts are actually, they're not that bad. Yeah, but like desserts. It's Inherently, yeah. Pastry is half fat to flour. It's never going to be amber right. or green. Right, which uh, I But also you should enjoy it. Like, and I think, you know, I think like... Metaphorically speaking, as well, like if you kind of get six or seven of your decisions, uh, or sixty or seventy percent of your decisions throughout the week, you know, amber or green, you're going to be in good nick, you know, and and uh, and, and we must enjoy the reds. Right. Hell yeah for the reds. Um, <laughs> but um, and I think that's the interesting thing about food, like and even nutrition, like the most honest, the most honest thing that's happened in food is a bar of chocolate and a bit of cake. Like they've never lied to you. 
No, that's true. They've never lied to you, you know. Like, don't try to be anything so, you're not. Like your, your, your stomach doesn't see, like, food. It sees, like, nutrients. And, like, so when you've got, like, a loaf of bread that's, like, cake, and you've got a pasta sauce that's, like, cake, and you've got a lovely, like, you know, fiber and vitamin D, like, cereal that's cake, you yeah. know, like, that's called lying. I feel like that's and, our um, biggest problem, yeah. And, uh, and labeling. Cereal still, as cake. Labeling's still got a long way to go here and, and even back home. So, um, honesty is, is, is often in shorter supply than one would want. You did, you did that question very well, thank you. I um, tried. <laughs> um, do your children cook? Yeah. And are they, as are they all equally enthusiastic? No, they're children. You know. Yeah, great. <laughs> you know, they're bastards, aren't they? Do you like the ones um, that cook better? I mean, it's, it's, I've got five kids, so like, it's, they, they are. Like, I think what, what I've tried to do is, I think there's, people mustn't think that like there's this, they mustn't look at sort of Instagram and think, it's just all perfect. It's just complete. Boring. Do you hate social media? No, I love social Do media. Do you love I, it? I love it equally and hate it. Yeah, okay. There's a lot of good. <laughs> there's a lot of good that can come out of it and has come out of it, and there's a lot of bad. And I think with any new talent, any new technology we've ever had, always requires some re some etiquette and some rebalancing. And you know, like you know, even in restaurants now, everyone's looking at phones. And they want Wi-Fi. You know, they won't come if they haven't got Wi-Fi. But What's then if you turn the Wi-Fi off, at least they talk to each other. Um, you know, everyone's standing on chairs trying to take a picture. I mean, it's weird, isn't it? But It's, it's, uh, it's absolutely... Uh, I will insane. get over it. I mean, I bet it's... No, I think, um, I, I think I've always tried to get my kids to understand where food comes from. Um, I've tried not to hard sell it, although I have to hold myself back. Um, kids constantly amaze me. Um, I feel like they're genuinely uh, interested in making things too. Yeah, but also, but even on a shallow, like, Daddy, Daddy, I want a micro scooter. You can't have your micro scooter. Oh, Daddy, I want a micro scooter. Well, What's a micro scooter? It's like a scooter that's micro. Uh, <laughs> um, I guess I could have um, figured that it's one like, out. It's like 100 quid, so it's not cheap. It's, well, it's not your birthday and it's not Christmas, so you're not having one. Uh, and, That's right. And no then, micro scooters. Right, stop asking me. Stop Go outside and learn every single herb in the garden. And I'll get you a micro scooter. Wow. Do you test them? 15 minutes later. <laughs> Dudes, I'm telling you, all the herbs, even, <laughs> even, no, even flowering myrtle, right? Um, wow. So, and this is like seven-year-olds, right? And this is two of them, right? And it's six-year-old. And I'm like, two micro scooters, 200 quid. Like, <laughs> all right, okay, I was just joking, but like, now you have to go. Uh, now do they really need their own, though? They can't share? No, no, no now I'm going to blindfold you and you're going to do it by smell. <laughs> Half an hour later. <laughs> Everyone. Uh, so, like, kids are extraordinary, and I think, like, uh, but but also they're like that. So, like, fr from a from a flavor neuro side, they're they're developing tastes, um, go through patterns. They're very brand aware. They're very affected by friends. Um, it's emotional. There's lots of stuff we do or don't know. Um, but so they're like that, and I think just the only way is just to keep be relentless about the love of food, and they'll find their own path and. You know, the teenagers have been through every... I mean, I tried to give them jobs and roles, like you're salad queen and you're going to make the dressing and you lay the table and I try and be like hard-ass like that and they do do that and they can do that. But then they turn into teenagers and like, where, where are my children? <laughs> oh, they're upstairs. Like, if I, I turn the Wi-Fi off. Oh, they... Hi, Dan. Where have you been for, for the last five weeks? Um... Christ, I didn't even know you were still alive. Okay, you're right. Want some food? Has having your own kids changed the way that you think about doing 
those programs in schools? Are you like, I know how you work. I know exactly what needs to be done because I have five of my own. Or is it sort of... Sort of yes and no, really. I think, um, you know, I think I just, I just, you know what, it's funny, like having left school with such... Um, when I left school, I'm like, uh, I had such a hideous relationship with learning. And, and I was a bit of a dick and I was immature, and, and, but also I wasn't trying enough and I was dyslexic, so I was kind of not, not able to kind of... I think you need to get on the bandwagon of doing some stuff right so you kind of feel good about it and then you try a bit harder. But I kind of never found that. But all these years later, having worked in so many schools across the world, and um, uh, I, when you see, like, a passionate teacher on any subject, it's just one of the most incredible things in the world. And they are out there. I, oh, know, yeah. I know we complain about the bad ones, but, but like... Good, good ones will change your life. Great teachers. And, and, and I think, like... And, 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 and we are reintroducing food te- uh, cook, cooking teachers back home. And so I think, like, it's always... A, a lot of the things that I do potentially could be boring. So, you know, so having, like, the ability to look at something potentially boring and make it the most magical thing in the world, um, just look under a microscope, or did you know? And, like, you know, so I think, yeah, that's the beautiful thing about food, right? There's just so much, it's so infinitely exciting. It truly really is. Um, and you can eat it. I mean, I went, I went... I, <laughs> and it's good. Like, I went to a school the other day, and it was, like, um, a load of nine-year-olds. And like in, in the in the UK right now, like nine year olds are they're into slime. Anyone with this? Anyone like? It's like the glitter slime like stuff. Some yeah. bastard invented this slime, right? It's very weird. And and I'm telling you, so like if you're making slime at home, right, you go and get this. They're even ordering it from America, IPC glue or something like that. I don't know. They, don't let them buy anything uh, from here. Well, look, it's no good. No, no. But they, what I'm saying is like they go on Amazon. They like they hack into their parents' like phones. This is what happens. And then like they memor- they memorize your code. Right? Oh, when yeah. they're in there, they put it. their fingerprints in so it memorizes their finger so they can get it on the quick. Anyway, slime requires like all sorts of shit like slime, uh, like uh, uh, shaving foam, toothpaste. Yeah. They're even taking food coloring and your flavorings, vanilla. Vanilla's expensive. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, uh, where's, where's, uh, where's uh, babe, where's my toothpaste? Uh, slime. slime. Where's my, where's Sorry, my shaving? Toothpaste. Anyway, so I went into this class and, and I was. Um, and I had like 40 minutes and I'd go, right, um, you lot, I'm going to tell you why slime is rubbish and the silence and the death stares. <laughs> I said, it's rubbish because you can't eat it. Yeah. Let's make some proper slime. Right, That's we're going right. to make bread. And, we, and, and then we did like an, an unleavened bread. We did like a, a parata a from India, which is sort of, you just roll it out. It's a simple bread. You rub it with oil. You roll it up, and then you snail it up, and then you kind of pat it out, and then you cook it in a simple pan. I didn't have any kit. I only had a little gas burner. And you do this kind of flip bread, and then it's like one of the only breads I know in the world where you're required to beat the hell out of it once you cooked it because it's all about the layers. So you have to take like this bread out, like, yeah. uh, and then you're like, uh, 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 and you're like, it's all about the layers. And um, But, you know, it's... You know, you, it's, that is slime. That is slime. You can the best slime, I think. And, and on that note, I feel like, yes, that, that really sums up the conversation. Slime. But, <laughs> which I appreciate. I actually, I, are they going to kick us off the stage? or? I don't know. I mean, I'll, I'll I'll sit, I'll, I'm just happy to keep talking. Yeah, I got a lot more to say. I, I mean, um, 
No, no one back there? Okay. I can't see anything. So there's you like, are there like can, four people just here? Do, like... do a last question. I mean, that's, it would, don't uh, leave them hanging. Oh, well, okay. This is a real question. Yeah. As, a, as opposed to a fake <laughs> one that you've written. Well, there have been a few fake ones. Uh, no, they were all real. Um, five ingredients for the perfect day. Yeah, he hates this one. <laughs> I was trying to make you as uncomfortable as humanly possible because you were too good this whole color. time. I wanted to, you know. I don't know. But yeah. you mean, like, uh, is, is this like a, a euphemism? Yeah, I'm assuming so. <laughs> Lionel Richie. Great, okay. A nice share dish. A rose. Oh, yeah. Th two more. Um, <laughs> That's three. <laughs> Um, candlelight. Mm, yeah. And slime. And so much toothpaste. Yeah. Thank you. You saw me struggling on that one. So I think that concludes our evening. Oh, bless you. Look. And bless you. Uh, no, thank you. Thank, thank you. you for coming. I'm, uh, I'm yeah, very, very grateful that you would come and... Um, Take time out of your busy lives to uh, hear me rant and rave. And, it's fascinating. Um, I felt like I could have said nothing and would have enjoyed this so much. Um, <laughs> so we'll be signing books. Jamie will be signing this lovely gem um, in another room, not here. Bless but you. we'll see you there. Thanks for coming, guys. Thank you. Thanks for listening. 92i Talks is supported by a generous endowment established by Daphne Reconati Kaplan and Thomas S. Kaplan. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and find more great conversations at 92yondemand.org.